growth was pissing everybody off. It was 2016, and Kieran Flanagan was running marketing and growth for HubSpot's freemium tools. But growth, at least as a discipline, was new to HubSpot at the time. So PMs, engineers, salespeople, and marketers were suddenly all collaborating on projects where there were competing goals, and probably more importantly, overall methods for doing things. Kieran says it was chaos, but that it was great because these teams are all finding new and innovative ways of working together. So, not spoiler, freemium has worked pretty well for HubSpot. So well, in fact, that as the freemium model was merged into all of HubSpot's core product sets, so too was that growth discipline. Growth is now embedded into the day-to-day process of not only marketers at HubSpot, but those PMs, engineers, designers, everyone. It's chaos. And it's working. This is Ground Up. It's a podcast about growth, except without all the numbers. Here, we tell the stories of everything behind the numbers, the ideas, the habits, the discipline, and also the personal and professional growth of some of the smartest marketers and business owners that we know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. That is my <laughs> real passion. If I can leave HubSpot uh, and... <laughs> My next world goes really well and I can retire. I would just open up a sanctuary for pugs. <laughs> what would you call that? A, a pug shop? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what a... So someone was telling me this. Oh, I can't get it now. There's like a collection of pugs are called a grump or something, like something really amazing. So That makes a lot of a, sense though. Yeah, yeah, because they look grumpy. <laughs> just... So the, name, the, the collective name for a pug is really funny. I don't know if it's a grump or anything like that, but whatever the collective name is, I would call it that name. <laughs> because uh, it's a collection of pugs and it's a funny name. One of the listeners will will, will let us know what a, what yeah. a collective of, of pugs are. Well, we'll move on from your biggest passion to, to maybe your second, which is which is growth and marketing. You, what I find super interesting is so, I mean, you've been at HubSpot now for what, well over six years, five years, something yeah, like that? Yeah, six years. When HubSpot was around 300 people, they hired a group of people to start their first office outside of Cambridge. And the mission of that team, of that you know, 12 to 20 people, was actually to grow the international business. So the first thing I did in HubSpot was actually to grow the international, to start an international marketing team and then to grow that across all of these different uh, regions. And so after two and a half years, that went really well. And I got asked then to go do a global role, which was just, hey, grow this thing called freemium. And Which was new to HubSpot uh, at the time. Yeah, which is new to HubSpot. We had, so the evolution of freemium, there was this collection of very smart people. Um, pro- people, probably your listeners, recognize Brian Balfour being one who runs now Reforge, which is a great place to go learn about growth. Mark Roberge, uh, our head of product, C. Todd, another really smart guy called Mike Peachy. Like this collection of people, and they were running this product called Psychic. And they were well, told, course, hey, go that, learn yeah. this. Yeah, like, go learn about this new way to go to market through like getting people to use a product and, and figure out how that would work. And so I came in at the start of 2016 when that team were some of them disbanding and we were taking the learnings that they had figured out and then started to apply them to our core, core uh, product set. And so we just started to, we released a free CRM and then we over time made all of our um, products free. And the interesting part about that is, so when I was doing that, we were our own company within HubSpot. So we were about 15 of us started off, maybe 15, 20 people. But it was really cool because you were you were like a startup within a company and the core right. business left us alone. 
hey, like, go do this thing. We're not going to disturb you. Like, just make it successful. Was it still called Sidekick at the time or had it been rolled into the HubSpot sales? Uh, it, it, it had been, convention? yeah, rolled into HubSpot sales. Yeah. So we we launched CRM and then I rebrand, we rebranded Sidekick into HubSpot sales, the sales acceleration tools. And then we launched HubSpot Marketing Free and then later on HubSpot Success. And yeah, that, so we got to grow that team and I got to grow a marketing and growth team and, and do some cool stuff. But you had the kind of, safety of this bigger business that was doing really well right so you're not the lights weren't going to get shut off overnight <laughs> um and i can talk to you about i'll finish off like what i do today but i can talk to you about how that team evolved over time yeah, yeah I think definitely sure quite quite interesting so that went really well it was like another two and a half year stint and then we merged the two businesses we're like oh this freeman thing works let's just apply it across the entire business and when we did that instead of me owning an entire funnel we kind of split up the funnel between me and um another guy called john dick and Megan Aniston, who were the kind of three VPs in HubSpot, and I took the top part, and John took the bottom part, and M- Megan does all the amazing work that helps people understand who HubSpot is. That's great. Yeah. So the freemium, what did the freemium model look like before HubSpot sales was rolled into it? Before that merge? Yeah. Happened? So, so the uh, interesting thing about the freemium model is we launched uh, CRM, and what I've learned this is a kind of generalization of my experience in HubSpot and speaking to other people who do growth because part of all I did for the first year was like hey how do you do this thing called growth how do you set it up how do you work between marketing and product and engineering sales Um, and then over time we learned how to do it better and um, I've seen it evolve in other companies so I think there's kind of three core stages to the evolution of growth within a company and this is not for all companies some companies just start out growth from the outset and it's not new to them, it's just embedded in how they work, but there's other companies who try to adopt it. And so there's the chaotic stage, right? So we come in and we're like, hey, we wanna do growth and we wanna apply it to the freemium model. And product marketing, engineering and sales working together was pretty new for us. Prior to that, it was really a a sales marketing led model where those teams had accountability to each other, but now we had product. And the chaotic stage is you kind of all create these fires because everyone is trying to own things there's not that much clarity on like ownership Mm -hmm. of metrics it's like who owns this you have people who own metrics but they actually are reliant on other teams and those teams are not motivated to make their (laughs) things a priority because they have other priorities and so you have this like chaos stage which is really interesting and then but within the chaos these teams working together get results right and the truth of the matter is like data makes believers of everyone. So you share these metrics and you say, wow, like look at the things that we're doing. Like look at this PQL. We saw that PQLs were, one of the things we were really focused on were these product qualified leads and PQLs closed at 20% and MQLs were closing at 4%. We're like, wow, look look how much more efficient this is. And so you then go into a centralized model, right? And then you kind of centralize, you have a central growth team that then own key growth metrics. You understand how your business works for us. To simplify it, it's like more complicated, but how do we set up users, get active teams, PQL those, and then create revenue and retain them? And you have the centralized team. That team was kind of comprised of marketing, product, and engineering. And that model worked kind of great. And then so there was two phases of centralized. We did that. That worked pretty good. And then we transitioned into centralizing most of the in-product metrics or all of the in-product metrics onto product itself. Which I think for a lot of companies is the right thing to do. So then product themselves owned team activation, PQLs, revenue. So the first time, it was one of the kind of first times a product had a revenue number. Sure, yeah. 
And then the third stage to that, which I think is really interesting when you see how companies evolve, is decentralization. Because what actually happens is through that team that you centralize and this growth thing being this weird thing that just pisses people off and you're continually asking people to do things, the, pro- the PMs start becoming really interested in, wow, if I onboard people, I can get more users to be engaged with my feature or my product, or I should think about what my upgrade points are. And so you start to decentralize growth and actually teach PMs how to embed that just in the way that they create products. And that's kind of the evolution that we went through. It's not so, that's the kind of blog post sure, version yeah. of it. It was like more up and down and over and lateral. Um, but that's kind of how we evolved. Yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of like how the industry as a whole too, now that you see like product driven growth is a thing now, there's books right. written on it, where it's kind of evolved growth from a function that was, like you said, centralized to an individual or a small team. And now it's just, it's a discipline that um, teams are using now and product teams are embedding into their into their uh, sort of workflow and, and which, you know, something we're doing here at Databox, like product driven growth, like we, you know, uh, uh, you know, we don't have an inside sales team, right? Like product driven growth right. and touchless and all like the, we try to engineer the product in a way, like, like you said, like, like some of the PMs did at HubSpot in such a way that, um, allows people to, to kind of self-serve, uh, and, and hit the aha moments. Um, so that's interesting that you were there. Cause I remember when Balfour was there, Brian Balfour, and he kind of was heading up the sidekick team. Uh, I think like really old school. It was first called signals, uh, first yeah, old yeah, guys yeah. <laughs> following along that had been with HubSpot. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and he managed a sidekick team and then it was rolled into the HubSpot sales. So that's kind of like where you came in. Yep. Um, and then uh, take us to today. So how, how has that role sort of evolved? Um, and now you're, you kind of own the, the freemium and, and the acquisition at the top and, and monetization so we, of freemium or like how does that, how does your role shake yeah, out today? Yeah. So the way that works today, because we merged everything together is I'm not just freemium. So we have to acquire, so we engineer a model that we still have a, large portion of our revenue that comes through this like amazing kind of content lead business, right? So we generate all of these content leads, we generate all of these free users, and we generate all of these, um, what we call content users, and that's kind of a new thing for us, and I can explain that. And we have to generate a, cert- uh, a certain amount of those across EMEA, Northam, Latam, and sure, APAC. Yeah. And so the groups of team I, I manage today actually are just the teams who drive the debt new demand into the into the funnel and try to con- do better conversion optimization to that demand. All of the activation and monetization and PQLs now lives within product. So product have their own centralized growth team within their team because again, we've evolved. And so as we evolved, product became more accustomed to just doing sure. those things. Yeah. And that's where the kind of the constant, when I've talked to companies, it's like where should growth live on product or in marketing? And for the most part, it, does belong in product because it's how you create the product and features. There are examples of companies that the growth team, and this is the decentralization, create an infrastructure that allows marketing to do things within the product without having to go in the product and code. So they can do chat, they can do, they can change up call to actions and things like that. And so that's how we've kind of split it up. And so we have a top part of the funnel and then the middle part of the funnel is split into two. So we have the in-app product funnel uh, or the in-app funnel owned by product because it's all within the product. And then we have the out-of-app funnel owned by marketing, which is turning people into MQLs and uh, qualifying them for sales and things like that. And what works at that stage? Email, chat, things like that? In-app or out-of-app? The out-of-app. The out-of-app sort of PQL model, like moving people through their their lifecycle stages. 
Yeah, out of app, it's like good email flows. Yeah. Uh, chat has been pretty good for us within the product. We put chat actually within the app, within the freemium experience as well, which has been really successful yeah. for us because, again, we're just trying to create a customer experience, but you do not have to talk to a person if you do not want to face-to-face. And if you do, you can just chat. But out of the app, I think out of the app, when you come to the size we are, a lot of it is basically the the ways that you can use data, like your data infrastructure, right? So how clean is your data? How accurately can you segment your people into different experiences based upon what you know about them? Sure. Um, how can you give them the options to buy in a very frictionless way? Um, and so they're the kind of things that that work really well. And what's great at that stage too, and 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 uh, what I've experienced in my role too, is when you're nurturing based off of product usage, which in a freemium model you're able to do, it just feels like a much more effective uh, just function than sort of the, I don't want to say old, because obviously there's still a big portion of HubSpot that functions this way, and a lot of organizations functions this way, is to generate leads and nurture them into the product, right? Uh, whereas you, right. you get to nurture off product usage, which is uh, which for me was always a lot more fun. Um, yeah, there's a... So if you think about every single business, the way that they try to automate their business in terms of like marketing automation or whatever you want to call it is there's a double axis of fit versus intent. And so you have these, and I have a graphic of this, but there's fit is basically typically out of the app. You think about your fit. Is the company of a certain size? Is that person of a certain role? Is um, it of a certain geographic region? Uh, like sure. there's certain aspects of that company that fit the kind of company, uh, that fit the kind of company that would be a good uh, person to upgrade to your paid products. And so you're dependent a lot on like data you can ingest and you're dependent upon usually user input in that data for you through a form or something. And then you have interests. And so when you're out of app, the interest is the intent and you get intent through engagement and out of app, you can still do that because you can say, Hey, that person has downloaded three pieces of content from me. Sure. That person has visited the pricing page and you, there's these signals, but because of freemium, you're, you in freemium, your intent becomes so much better because you can say this person is using a certain amount of of, of this feature. He, they're using this many features. They're using the the limit up to the limit on these features. So your intent just becomes better when in freemium, so you can make better decisions. Yeah, for sure. So how is your how is the team actually structured today uh, in terms of where they're located and 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 just like what their what their responsibilities are. Um, so we, so my group, which is, uh, and I can go into other, other groups. So my group, which is around 50 to 60 people are, I'm based in Dublin. I have a small collection of people based in Dublin, some in Berlin, and then the rest are based either in our Cambridge office or dotted around the States. And for the other teams as well, it's similar that they have a big presence in Cambridge, but more and more there's like this distributed workforce and that distributed workforce sure. is either fully remote or it's actually across offices. Mm-hmm. And so HubSpot, um, we have about 200 fully remote people now. But actually, when you take the number of people who are working with distributed teams, that number is way, way higher. Right. And distributed teams does mean their team or their people they're working with are not in the same office as them. Right. How do you... Um... What what are you know? How do you manage that? Like, what what is it like being? Because you're in a leadership position, um, and you're you know working with folks, you know, like you said, uh, either across you know, uh, in Dublin or and, and today you're working from home, right? So even if you're in Dublin, you're still yep. working remote, um, and then you have a lot of folks in Cambridge or just remote. Like, what is what is that 
transition been like or what what is it like uh being in a remote leadership position yeah it was hard to begin with so when i started the uh international marketing team we were a group of 20 people and we grew to about three to 400 people and that my team grew to about 16 to 17 people and you're kind of in work every day you're talking to each other every day like it's really easy to go tap someone on the shoulder and when i went to do freemium um, I had the opportunity to move to Boston. I was meant to move to Boston, and I didn't. And they said, you could still do it, but you need to make it work remotely. It's like, yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll make it work remotely. And then the first six months is like, holy shit, this is really <laughs> hard. And so I'm like, because at that time, I took on like four to five people. Right? That, it was a really small team and quickly grew it to about 20, 25 people within the space of 12 months. Only one of those people were in the Dublin office with me. Everyone else was remote to me. And everyone else who was um all but one person who was remote had never worked for a remote manager before or had a remote leader before. And you're in different time and zones, so, right? So and we're in different, <laughs> yeah, we're five hours apart. So I, the way I worked it, the way I made it work in the first 12 months was pure brute force, which I do not uh, suggest, which is, which is basically I worked Irish hours and Boston hours. <laughs> and so I just met everyone on their, I met everyone on their terms, which is like, hey, I was doing meetings at midnight. I was like making sure that everyone felt comfortable that I was available because when you have a new manager and that person is not in the office with you, it kind of be, it's kind of weird. You're like, oh, is that person really going to back for me? Do they care about me or do they know I'm doing good work? And so you want to show that you're truly available. And then over the course of the 12 months, what I tried to build was a good operating model of communication. And so a good example of that is the way my team communicate with me. And actually this is quite widespread within HubSpot is through memos, right? So we, if we have a query about how something was working or what that person really wants to do in the next quarter, that person will write a memo and then we can get together in a meeting and discuss that memo. So then you start to think more thoughtfully about the operating model of how your communication needs to work within that environment for but for the first 12 months, it, it, the transition was was pretty hard. It was not like a simple, easy thing. I wish I could say for all of the people who want to go remote that it is. It's not. You're working 12-hour days. Yeah, you're in separate time zones. It's even it's even harder. You're you're wrapping up, or theoretically should be wrapping up for the day, and Cambridge is just getting started, or it's it's uh, you know early morning. Um, right. Yeah. So, uh, what in terms of communication? Uh, take us more into the memos. Like, how did you transition from having to be available at all hours to a point where, you know, you have a team uh, in Cambridge that is on, you know, five hours behind you. Um, how did you, how do you work out communication? How do you work out meeting schedules? How do you work out alignment? So everybody knows uh, what priorities are and where, where progress stands against, you know, goals that you've set. How do you, how do you manage all of that? Yeah. So that's evolved as well. Um, one of the things I would you know, give uh, props to for HubSpot. And I've worked in a lot of different companies, but the people are very thoughtful about other people's work experience. So when remote started to become more of a thing in HubSpot, it wasn't just me saying, hey, like, I'm not going to do any more meetings at midnight. It was like over time, people just realized that people were in different time zones and were more cognizant of where they were. Um, and so that just started to become better that someone would apologize if they had to do a meeting at seven. It's like, hey, I'm really sorry I had to do that. And you, I just noted that, noticed that changing as people became more used to working with someone or and people who are distributed across the globe. So it's part of just like a company's evolution into remote and part of people's learning how to work with uh, remote people across the globe. In terms of communication, like it's it changed from when I had 
when I had like the five people and then in the first year to 20 people to now 60 people, the way you have to manage changes. You can be agile and every month looking at metrics when you're a smaller team, right? So you're kind of, we set goals every single month. We would be obsessive over those goals because you're, you're growing from a nothing to something and trying to get traction. And so we were quite, we instrumented our model pretty well. We knew what our monthly we had weekly goals like our model like when i look, I actually looked at it the last day and it was like every week we were looking at this huge growth model from users to activation to like pqls and there was all of these things and every week we're like where are we within this model and if we're off in the model i'm talking to the different people sure, yeah, yeah. and then and then when, you, when your team grows what actually happens is you hire managers that you trust who will tell you the things that you need to know. So you can go to them and say, here's the big things that I care about for the coming quarter from you. From you. And if you could keep me abreast of those and bring me into those things, these other things, they're really important. I trust that you've got them. If you need my help, if you want to bring me in on a conversation, if you want me to brainstorm something, if you want me to remove, remove a blocker for you, let's do that. But this is the stuff I'm going to probably talk to you a lot about because this is what I'm going to get into the weeds on. And that's kind of the evolution, I think, of you, how you manage when your team grows over time. Right. And I would imagine like setting goals and all that kind of works in a, in a similar fashion, right? Because you're, you're telling them what to, what to keep you in the loop on and all of that is tied back to goals in some way. So how, what, like, take me into like the goal setting exercise. Is that, is, that, uh, is that sort of, is it more top down at HubSpot or do you work with your team to sort of develop, you know, here, here's what the goals are going to be for the quarter. And, you know, obviously the priorities are going to be attached to that. Yeah. So we have two versions that actually we're going through this process now. Um, so we go from bottom up. We have one version, which is like, Hey, the company need, need to have this certain amount of revenue. And the, the unique thing about HubSpot is a hundred percent of our revenue comes from demand source through marketing, whether that's in or out app. So you can work all the way back then to the way that we take it is, hey, we have to generate this amount of revenue. So how many monthly QLs do we need to generate? And QLs for us are in-app hand raisers, like people saying, I may want to upgrade, and then uh, direct MQLs who are, that are out of the app. So just think of that as high intent demand. And so we have a dollar value against each of those qualified leads. And we can say, we need to generate this amount of qualified leads each month to hit that revenue number so the sales have enough demand to hit their number. And then we can go up one layer and we can say, well, for us to hit that many quality leads, we need this many users, we need this many content leads, and we need this many content users. And then you can go up again and you can say, well, where are all these things going to come from? Organic traffic, these campaigns, all of these different things. All the different inputs, and so when right. I, I, yeah, so we can go bottom up. And the other thing we can go then is top down, which is like based upon the historical trends, where do we think we're going to get? Based upon the bottom up model, where do we need to get? And then you can look at the delta. The reason the delta is important because when you're planning out your resources and when you're planning out where to invest in, you want to look at the places that there's a huge delta between where you need to be and where you've historically been growing. Because if you can either do something better there, invest more heavily there, like you're not, you have someone there that's just not doing as good as you need them to do, you're underinvested. Or you just saturated that that channel, you've saturated that play, and then you're going to have to try to pivot over to something else. And that's why that delta is really nice to understand. Um, and that's kind of how we set goals. And then I, I will look at the deltas, I will look at what we need to do, and then work with each of the directors on my team t uh, to set those goals. How far out are you modeling, you know, this, is it, is it quarterly? Do you have an annual forecast? Like, you know, do you sit down at, you know, uh, at the end of Q4 this year and kind of build out a model? for all of 2020 like how how frequently are you going through this exercise yeah it's uh we go through it it's a it's a 12-month model 
so we're going to go through we're going through that exercise now and then we will uh we have a dashboard of many dashboards uh but <laughs> we have sent you probably, probably probably know that like same for you guys but like there's one central dashboard that will update each month and all of the core metrics are in there that we need to hit for sure. us to hit that revenue number and so we'll be able to see each month are we like trending off where we need to be and uh how often do you tweak that going through the year the model the model yeah we try not so it's a really great question um we probably we don't tweak i've i don't tweak it a lot unless i think i like we were we were wrong about something right so like we try to predict out what we need to hit and put each goal sure. on each manager or director and the only reason I would tweak them all is because, yeah, we were actually wrong that you could do this. Uh, if we were not wrong that you could do this, then you should hit your goal. That's your job. Um, and so it would be the only reason I would tweak them all is because like there's something that we missed that's going to cause you not to hit your goals. And we did that actually just recently where we um, we were behind on a target and we just underestimated the amount of work it needed t- took to do something, to build something and develop something. And so we had to reset the goals to be fair for the rest of the year. Um, so, so we'll do it on a case by case basis, but I'm not trying to go in every month sure, and yeah. shift things around because you missed, uh, you, you had a I'm big only... swing and miss, right? So it's more yeah, external like, factors, uh, whether that's engineering time or, or, or exactly. something shit, right? Right. So that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I want to, I want to dig into the freemium, the freemium side. And you, you know, you, you actually just talked about like certain plays that become exhausted. I'm just curious, like, you know, as, as time has evolved uh, in, in your time at HubSpot and you've been, you know, obviously working with freemium, you've been working in growth, like what kinds of things um, used to work? Uh, obviously now the areas of the funnel that you're focused on have changed, but um, generally speaking, what kinds of things uh, used to work that maybe have evolved and take us into today uh, and some of the, the tactics and, and channels and activities that your team focuses on today that are, are working in terms of, you know, acquisition, uh, in freemium model. Yeah. The, so there's things that you can saturate. There's things that kind of go in, uh, tr- like up and down in terms of the ability to get big wins and then they kind of go to a point where it's leveled off and then uh, you, you can do that again. And so a good example is when you're optimizing your freemium tier for PQLs, right? When you first start, you don't have you haven't really instrumented anything at all so there's just a ton of upside sure, yeah. and then you could instrument the model to a point where like it's pretty well fine-tuned and it's hard to get continually to optimize like you get maybe get a few digits here and there but like anything conversion rate optimization i think has a point where it starts to level off um and then it's just a case of like the more you get in the better that is you've optimized it and then maybe you do something that you add another product or you add another thing and you can start to like figure out upgrade points there but i think you can instrument that kind of things to a point where it probably will start to, to level off. And if you don't do that, if you keep iterating on it, what what could happen is you can over engineer your freemium tier and everything is an upgrade point. And the <laughs> value of the freemium tier is like right. reduced. And like, you're just like people like, I can't do anything because you've just like put PQLs everywhere. Sure. Um, there's other, like the other things that, so for us, like there's nothing groundbreaking in the things we do in terms of acquisition, we just do things to a very advanced level. That's the way I was thinking about this recently. Because when you think about like, how do I grow freemium or how do I grow any business? It doesn't even matter if it's not freemium or not, like in B2B. You, and you go through this kind of phase where you're 
at a certain size and at a certain size you can do all these things that are kind of not scalable but will get you to the point you need to get to whether that's events or whatever those things are they're not they're not infinitely scalable but they serve a purpose for the point in time that you're at and they're perfectly great to do and then you reach the size where you just need access to huge audiences to be, continue to grow at the rate that you need to grow and then when you think about that like as a marketer it's kind of depressing because you're like well it's basically people searching on Google, <laughs> people searching on YouTube, people doing stuff on social media, or people speaking about my product and sharing my product with other people. Right. That that's it, right? So it's and there's no I don't think there's like the and I think if you're you're in a certain industry, there's probably some sort of thing that you can do that's very different from other industries. If you're in fintech, maybe there's this like platform that you can infiltrate and it's really smart, you can grow from that. But generally like that's the buckets. And so there's hard to be like, oh, I'm going to, I'm doing this really creative, inventive thing. I think the people who do really well figure out how to do things to a very advanced level. And I think what they do is they, what we do is we over invest in the things that we want to be, we think that there's most opportunity in versus trying to sporadically do bits and pieces of everything. Right. And that's one thing I think we've always been good at. So when we, when we did content and the blog and search, we didn't just go, well, we got to a million visitors and like, that's probably the height of our you know, um, that's probably the height of what we can do. We're just like, how do we continue to just like get very, very scientific about how we do this? And that's grown to, to 10 million. Um, and so I think that's the one thing that I would give us credit for is like, we're very obsessed about trying to go as far as we can in certain channels and be very, very advanced in the way that we do things. How is your team structured in terms of uh, responsibilities in terms of whether it's product marketers, content marketers, SEO specialists, I think that'll give us some insight too into like which areas of focus um, are most important. So how, how does that shake down? So we have a team that is, we have a great team that is accountable for all of the content we create. So all of that. That includes the blog, content. top of funnel, all that. All, all of the blog. So the way we split our content team actually is um, we split it through this heart and minds concept which is hey what's the mission of our content why do we create content well it's to win the hearts and minds of small to medium-sized business leaders whether they're marketers sales and customer success people and that was a uh, something that kip our cmo uh, was like talking us through We're like yeah that makes a lot of sense and so we had this content team that creates educational content because that's trying to win the minds of people right it's trying to educate you you've got something in your mind that you want to learn so you're out there searching for that so we don't have to create demand for that we're actually extracting demand that already exists and that's a lot of our blog content a lot of the offers we do more and more courses that we create in this thing called the academy so lots of content across lots of different mediums uh, youtube is another one that we've started to invest in so anywhere where we can educate you through content this is the mind team and they're trying to do that then we have a heart team and the heart team is really like if you only did mind content people won't even know who your brand is right yep. or people won't care about your brand like my like the core thing that I think most of us uh, can get wrong is like undervalue how important positioning is and creating some sort of emotional connection with your uh, audience. And that's really our, the job of the heart team. And they're trying to figure out like what topics can we connect with emotionally to our audience and what do they care about, whether that's, hey, we want to show that HubSpot has taken diversity seriously, remote work seriously, that we want to create a diverse sales team that we believe sales is broken, uh, you shouldn't just be chasing every single dollar. You should be really focused on your customer experience. Like these topics that we want to really create, we want to stand for and, and help create emotion with our uh, emotional connection with our audience. And that's that heart content goes through 
uh, uh, channels like social media, right? That's a really great place to tell those stories. So that's how we break up the content team. Then we have a pretty sizable search team and the search team work with all of the content people to make sure that uh, we're actually getting found and they do a bunch of other things across our different properties. Obviously have a paid advertising team. Um, we have other teams that do co-marketing and, and partnerships. So we work with a lot of brands on how we can create content with them. And do we do lots of different types of partnerships that help us drive distribution through other people's audiences. And we work with them to, to show, we work with them on how we can show our audience their products as well. Um, we have some teams that are building products lightweight products that we can market and then those lightweight products have like paths into our freemium uh product and so we're doing that and we're trying to build into ecosystems it's a without a visual it's hard to like go through it because it's just a, <laughs> a big it's like an octopus <laughs> like this octopus with all these tentacles but that's kind of like the core some of the core teams i'm probably missing and then we have like obviously conversion ride optimization team that is doing all of the things to make this stuff work great and a great web team that are building all of the infrastructure that we need to um, be able to do all this stuff. So is the biggest percentage content, you would say? Content, and that, that would include SEO? So in my group, um, in HubSpot, in, in HubSpot in general, like not just like, let's just think about the core marketing team, which is you know upwards of 250 people. Every, if, even if you don't have content in your role, you're probably creating some form of content everyone's a content marketer sure. like 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 it's everyone is in some way creating some form of content if, as part of their role so content is the biggest piece of the entire i think team i love the hearts and mind concept uh who came up with that is that is that kip i stole that from uh, kip and i've been using it in every podcast and this <laughs> this pod, this podcast i actually give him credit for it <laughs> first time he's getting credit I, yeah. I i love the hard concept so that that's uh so if I have it correct, the mind, the mind content is more educational, maybe around the tactics and the heart concept yep. is more around, uh, I mean, really changes in the world, changes in the market, um, how people can stay, stay up with that, like grow, grow better really would be kind of exactly. heart That's, content. Yeah. And a, a great way to think about this is like, if you think about just marketing, like what, do, what is our job as marketers? Our job is basically to create demand around the positioning that 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 match that speaks to our audience like that demand does not exist our job is to create that and then our job is to extract the demand that already ex exists within these channels right and so that's that's basically marketing right that's what you're trying to do the mind content is i'm i'm extracting all of the demand that exists in google and youtube and these channels sure. for information about these things and then hard content is trying to create the demand to make you think about these things, to make you speak about them with your colleagues, to make you care about them. And I think that's the way that we think about how those things are broken out. Right. And HubSpot has the platform at this point to make that stuff spread, right? Where for smaller right. companies might be hard to get heart content to uh, to catch on. Um, so yeah. th that, that's super fascinating and, and, and good insight because you could definitely see HubSpot doing both and, and a lot of the podcasts uh right. how many podcasts does hubspot have now what i mean weird work like that that one's hilarious <laughs> in addition so to the growth have, show I, yeah we have the growth show weird work and a podcast called skill up which is actually pretty cool skill up is like so it's another form of education actually it teaches you how to do something through audio which i really like because uh i think in the future google are doing this right so they are able to take snippets. Well, they're at the moment what they're doing is just showing you podcast episodes. Sure. But I suspect yeah. 
they're doing this in video now. If you timestamp a YouTube video, uh, so like the way you're maybe you timestamp your podcast, right. if you do that through a video, they will be able to take that and then snippet, take the snippets out and then show them in a, a feature so snippet. Up. Yeah. Yeah, and so I suspect they're going to do something like that for audio, right? If you time, if you Google podcasts, timestamp your notes. I suspect at some point they're going to be able to show audio snippets within the within the um, within Google. And so the Scale Up podcast is is our first kind of uh, steps in that direction, where it's basically just a tutorial through audio. That's interesting. So timestamping specific points of the podcast in the show notes, which uh, which a lot yeah, of folks so, do. Yeah, and so like I don't know like. I don't know if they are, maybe they are doing that, but I looked at this yesterday because I was like, I was Googling some, how this worked and I was reading some of the stuff on it. But you can, if you Google certain podcasts, they'll bring in the episodes from the Google podcast app into the search results. But I can't, I can't, I don't know if they were doing snippets yet. I haven't seen a snippet in the wild. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you see more and more uh, podcast timestamping things in the show notes, which I know Google keeps saying that they want to index and make podcasts more discoverable. So uh, there's there's going to be something at some point uh, yep. th- that um, and as soon as that happens, you'll see you'll see that channel explode even more, right? Um, exactly. Once it's measurable, once it's easier to create, uh, really measurable is the last is the last stop. Like video, we're there now, right? It's easy to create and it's measurable. Um, yeah, so the easy to create. I don't know if you've seen this. I know we're going on a slight tangent, but I think your listeners would be interested in this. There's a product called Descript. Uh, it was on Product Hunt recently. It's called Descript.com. It has one of the best product marketing videos. Even if you just want to go learn how yeah. to do I how do I do a demo, how to do product marketing, just go to their homepage and look at their video. Yeah, and watch it. But what they do is basically, let's say we're recording this podcast through Descript. They will then have the text file, and then you can just edit the text, save it, and it will save the audio. So you do not need to touch the audio file. Then the other thing they'll be able to do is say, hey, you're we're talking and you're saying, oh, I wish I said this to Kieran at this point. You'll be able to type that in. And because it recognizes your voice, it will be able to use AI to oh, stop. Come on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's the future. So this is, this I was, I, this is frightening. <laughs> I so we could have a, a stuff that. we could have a conversation that we didn't actually have is what you're saying. So you, so at the moment, it's the way that they've secured the, the security piece of this. So we don't start doing like, I don't, <laughs> I can't take your voice. Like yeah. basically you can only take, I don't know how they're going to do it. So I, I, we're actually using this in HubSpot. So I actually, I'm going to hook up with our podcast team to go through this, but I don't think you can, uh, do my voice. Right. I hope you can't because God knows <laughs> yeah, what you can yeah, put geez. in. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's scary. Yeah. The AI with, uh, with the, with the deep fakes, with the photos the and videos fakes. and, yeah, with with voice now. Yeah, that's uh, that's scary. I can assure all the listeners of this conversation that you're listening to right now actually happened. So it's happening. Uh, yeah, but I'm gonna check out the script though. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So I kind of want to end here, like where what your team's focused on right now, and like what do you what do you view as the most ambitious challenge uh, that your team has wrapping up 2019 here, and then to piggyback off of that, what'll be your most ambitious challenge for the team for 2020? Uh, that is a great question because I'm trying to think about 2020 right now. I am, I get, uh, people make fun of me in HubSpot, the exact team, because I'm a, I can be pessimist. I'm like, everything is hard. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be really hard to do. And so always my biggest <laughs> challenge is just hitting the next year's numbers because they always get harder. And so, and the other point, like, because of where we are in our evolution, it's not like these 
these untapped channels that we haven't grown from like we're kind of doing everything so it just becomes harder to keep on getting growth in these channels so i always think it's a challenge to at a certain size just continuing to grow is hard and so i think the constant challenge that we have is to both hit the numbers and then to try to figure out how we make bets in 2020 that will help us to hit the numbers in the next two to three years when these other channels have stopped working because there's only so much search demand or there's only so much you can um you can do through these other different channels so much partners to work with and that to me is always the balance in growth and marketing that i've discovered which is i have to have really good immediate focus on how i meet the goals i have right now and over the next 12 months but if i only focus on those at some point i'm going to be in a real deep hole because i haven't thought about the future and i think that's the balance and that's the that's the challenge for all of us on the team to try to figure out this was fun, man. Kieran, I hope HubSpot continues to work out for you so you can open up that, that pug shop or that grump or whatever you're going to call it. It's, yeah, I think it is a grump. The grump, the grump sanctuary. And then I will uh, start, start an Instagram page, become an influencer, and then just sell products through Instagram about pugs. That's my dream. You're well set up, right? You know, all the SEO, like, you know, like start a blog. You, you got everything. You got the whole framework got built out. Exactly. <laughs> this was my plan all along. That's why I joined HubSpot. I wanted to learn to do this stuff so I could eventually open a pug sanctuary. Well, it's on the record now, so we got it. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.